Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Hey now, welcome to the Daily Jungle. We had a tremendous show today. Exactly what's going on in the NBA. Another night, another fight in the association. This time it's Aflac v. Belly throwing down. And Pittsburgh is coming from Mike Tomlin, but it's the OC Todd Haley who gets run out of town. And the Jungle Inc. streak is going to continue, apparently. The CFO of the Carnap Nation, Justin in Seatown, is taking the needle this weekend. Minnesota Viking D-end. Daniel Hunter came in for some karma. UFC light heavyweight champ Daniel Cormier was back in the jungle before UFC 220. And former Nebraska quarterback Tanner Lee came right here in studio. Alvy, it was a monster day. Let's get this thing started. The Daily Jungle right now. Who do you think? Which NFL fan base has had the most miserable run of the past decade? If you think about it. I mean, really think about it. It's Jacksonville. It's Jacksonville. Well, no fan base in the NFL not named Cleveland. But let's be real. The Browns fans are in their own category. The Jags have suffered through zero winning seasons since 2007. And while I know Cleveland is in the middle of a 1-31 stretch, I also know that the Bills have not exactly dominated, at least not until this season. The fans themselves do not take the heat in those two cities. That's the main difference. The fans themselves are not the ones taking the heat. In fact, there was nothing but respect and love for the fans in both Seatown and Buffalo who had to suffer through what they've had to suffer through. You know, in the belief that those two fan bases deserve so much better. The Jags fans, on the other hand, don't get that. They not only had to suffer through bad seasons, they also had to suffer through being mocked as the worst fans in the NFL. I mean, nobody called the Browns fans bad or the Bills Mafia terrible, but Jags fans, Jags fans took all that fire, bad team and bad fans, everybody said. That was their rap. You know, the golden era of Mark Brunel, Fred Taylor, Keenan McCardell, and James Littleman Stewart. That was so long ago. And since then, Jags fans have had to be content to watch Blaine Gabbard, a.k.a. Plain Garbage, and Chad Henney, a.k.a. Chad Henney. No wonder they needed tarps for the seats. They're lucky that stadium is even still standing. And no wonder they're loving this season the way that they are right now. It's no wonder that, according to TMZ, a bakery in Jacksonville is sending Ben Roethlisberger an order of seven turnovers because, you know, he turned the ball over seven times against the Jags this season. Get it? (laughs) I mean, I do. I mean, it is a terrible joke and some of the weakest trolling ever. And really nothing more than a shameless pub grab by the bakery. But I get it. And because it's Jacksonville, I'm going to allow it. They're not used to this kind of success, and they're going to do whatever they can to enjoy it and soak it all in, and they should. This is why I had absolutely no problem with that victory rally Sunday night back at the stadium. In fact, not only did I like that, I loved it. Why not have a party when you've just gone into Pittsburgh and smashed Pittsburgh? Why not have a party when you're 60 minutes away from the Super Bowl? Meeting the team at the airport? Cool. The team meeting you at the stadium, even cooler. I mean, sure, I know the argument. The argument that the Patriots weren't having a rally with their fans after they beat the Titans. But that's because they're the Patriots. They're supposed to be there. The Jags are not supposed to be there. Not this year and not this far. And yes, I also understand that whole act like you've been there before school of thinking. 
but the Jags really haven't been there before, at least not in a long, long time. I mean, hell, MJD, David Garrard, that was a decade ago. So when you've had to endure watching Gabbert and Henny, and now you get the chance to see Leonard Fournette, Calais Campbell, Jalen Ramsey, Miles Jack, and the rest of that badass defense for at least one more game, damn right you're going to celebrate. And you should celebrate. And, and if they don't have that rally, we don't all get Jalen Ramsey grabbing the mic and doing this. I ain't got too much to say, but y'all make sure y'all bring that same energy out here next week and the week after. We going to the Super Bowl and we going to win that bitch. We going to win that bitch. You know, that's not him shouting out to his favorite living actor. That's him shouting out to his favorite county, Duval County, because Jacksonville, a.k.a. Saxonville, is D-T-W-D, Duval till we die. So they'll have an entire county behind them on Sunday. And while they're not favorites, in fact, not even close, not even by a long shot, you sleep on this crew You do it at your own risk because they knock heads with the best of them. Leonard Fournette runs with the best of them. And Blake Bortles is doing everything he needs to do right now to be 60 minutes away from a Super Bowl. I'm not saying that they're going to win on Sunday, but I am saying they will show up. And they'll show up loud and nasty. Duval! Daniil Hunter is my guest. Listen, I know you're looking ahead, but and you've switched gears. Can you take one last look back at the past weekend, though? i got to get your perspective on this. When the Saints scored and they took that 24-23 lead with 25 seconds left, what's going through your head? What are you thinking? Well, first of all, you know, I was just looking around, looking at the fans like, man, these are some loyal fans because I didn't see anybody leaving. That's the first thing that went to my mind. And after we got off, I went to the sidelines after they kicked that field goal. And I was like, man, I don't want to go home, you know. It, but the way I was looking on the clock, I was just like, only thing we could do is just sit there and believe. And, you know, we had to get in field goal range and all that. So we just all sat there and watched with the looks that we had on our faces, as you guys saw on TV. And then um, we kept going down the field after Thielen got his catch. And then Dave got his catch, and then we were all just like, wow, that's unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable. Is there any way to even describe it? I mean, when Case Keenum hits Diggs, who stays on his feet, he stays in bounds, and then he sprints to the end zone. I mean, I don't know if you were thinking to yourself, hey, man, get out of bounds, but he didn't. Is there any way to describe what that moment was like? It was just pure joy, you know, excitement. We all jumped up, and after he went to the end zone, we all ran back there. I think we were on the field for about an hour after that. The whole team, media, and everybody was, was there for about an hour. But it was very exciting, man. Just very thankful that, for that play. Daniel Hunter joining us. I know he had nowhere to go. Man, if I were Diggs, I'd still be out there right now. But you got that 24-hour rule. you got to get ready for the next challenge. You know, one of the things that's clear when watching your defense play is how tough and how nasty this group is. How would you describe the attitude of that unit? You know, it's, um, no, we're, we're a very confident unit. You know, We go out there. We trust each other. It doesn't matter who's out there. We always believe in the guy next to us. We trust that um, each of us is going to go out there and do our jobs. Uh, it doesn't matter who it is. First, second string, third string, we're all going to go out there and we're, we're going to contribute and hold each other accountable for, for our actions. You know, you look at that defense, too. It's loaded with true professionals, guys like Everson Griffin, Linval Joseph, and to name just a few. So what kind of things have you learned from them in your time in Minnesota, some of the vets who were there? You know, ever since I've been here, I came in young. 
You know, I was probably one of the youngest guys to ever come in the group. Everybody was about three years older than me, so uh, I realized that I had a whole bunch of older guys, and then I could just use that as an advantage to learn as much as I can. But throughout the years, I've learned a lot from Griff, B-Rob, and um, LJ about stuff on the pass and the run, you know, stuff using my hands and using my eyes and using different techniques by just watching those guys. And they did a they did a good job of taking me under their wing. Him and the coaches, Coach Zimmer and uh, Coach Dre, taught me a lot of stuff to help me adapt to my game to what it is today. Minnesota Viking, Daniel Hunter, my guest. You know, from a personal standpoint, you had a monstrous season last year, and then coming into this season because of that, you've had a lot more attention focused on you. Guys are chipping you now. They're sending more protection your way. What's that been like, and then how have you gone about dealing with that? You know, it kind of kind of affected me a little bit at the beginning of the season. My coach told me that's going to happen, and it's something that I'm going to have to fight through. He said that Griff went through that. You know, guys are going to start chipping you more and all that and sending protections your way. So he told me that's something that I was just going to have to fight through, and eventually you just be a dog out there and just deal with it. We're talking to Daniel Hunter. You know, every time I talk to one of your teammates, pretty much every single time we end up talking about head coach Mike Zimmer and how much guys love him. It seems like there's a legitimate bond between him and his players, and it's a kind of bond that you don't see everywhere in the NFL. What is it about Zimmer that makes him so special, and how is he able to connect with the guys the way he does? Um, one thing that I've noticed since I've got here, now, when we watch film, we watch film together sometimes. You know, he goes through every single person on the defense. He would rewind the play about 13 times, and he'll correct each person or tell them something that they could do better. So there's always something that he's trying to get somebody to be better at. That's one thing that I've noticed about him, man. You know, he takes care of us. You know, as long as we take care of him, he takes Clones, care of us. I need to talk to you for a moment about stamps.com. Now, here's a New Year's resolution that you can actually keep. Add Stamps.com to your business and save a ton of time and money this year. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't need that resolution this year because I've already done it, and I wish I had done it sooner. Stamps.com has saved me so much time and so much money. You see, Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. Stamps.com is the better way to get postage. You simply use your computer to print U.S. postage for any letter or package, any class of mail and you let the mailman pick it up. You don't leave your office. There's no more lugging mail to the post office. There is no more hassle. So stamps.com saves you time and money. Almost everything you can do at the post office, you can do right from your desk. Stamps.com. Convenient, easy, reliable, efficient. And those are all the reasons why I use stamps.com. And right now, you too can enjoy the stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. Are you ready for a happier new year? Then go to stamps.com. Hit the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in jungle. That's stamps.com. Enter jungle. Once again, to take advantage of this great offer, stamps.com. Enter jungle. That's stamps.com. Now it's back to our daily jungle. Give an example. I mean, you hear that a lot. Like, hey, if you take care of the team, the team will take care of you. Or if you take care of the coach, the coach will take care of you. How does he take care of you guys? As long as we keep winning or keep winning over and over, he'll buy us like breakfast in the morning or all that stuff. Chicken wing Thursdays, you know, stuff like that. That's funny, little, man. Little things like that on the side. I was just going to say, little things like that. I mean, you guys being who you are and pretty much that you can afford and do whatever you want, do those little things matter over the course of a year? Oh, definitely. You know, and as it comes down to the end of the season, the little things really matter because that's what it comes down to. You know, everybody's 
tired from playing however many games we played. You know, it all comes down to the little things. Whoever makes the less mistakes is normally the one that comes out on top of the victory. Daniel Hunter joining us for a few more moments. So you're getting ready to face Philadelphia. What is the thing that concerns you the most about their offense, and what do you think the key is to stopping them? You know, the the key is just, like I said, just going with the game plan. You know, we just got to um, have the, the back end do their job and have the front end do our job. Our job is to focus on stopping the run this week. You know, we do a good job of that. We're going to be able to rush the passer. You know, and the, the, the back end, they're going to go out there and they're going to do their job. So that's that's something that we're looking forward to. It's, you know, what's it like when you go on the road? And you know, they're going to be fueled up. The fans are going to be peaking. They're going to be ready. It's going to be a hostile, hostile environment. I mean, you've seen plenty of this before in your career. What's it like when you're 53 against 70,000 or more? You know, um, I've been in, I've, I'm going to look way back now. I've been in situations like that um, in college you know, where there's a hundred and something thousand people. And I played football in SEC. So it's kind of something that I've been in and we've been in it this year and, and especially last year when we played against the, the Eagles. So it's something that we've been in and something that we've overcame. Over time, we just got to go in there and focus on what we need to focus on and don't get distracted by the noise. Yeah, the noise or the fact that maybe 70,000 of them are going to be rocking German Shepherd heads and dog masks. You know, just, that's just something on their part. We don't really pay attention to that. Like I said, we're just going to go in there and we're just going to focus on what we need to do, you know, execute our game plan. And, yeah, that's it. I should know better than to ask you about anything other than this coming game, but if you win on Sunday, obviously, you're going to play in the Super Bowl. You're going to do so at home. Knowing that, do you go into Sunday's game telling yourself it's a huge opportunity, or do you just try to make it like it's any other game? I mean, is that possible? You know, it's a, it's a big deal. You know, Coach told us this morning, he's been in this situation two times, and that was when he first came in the league. And stuff like this doesn't happen often. So you just got to go out there and give it your all and know that the loser goes home and the winner goes to the Super Bowl. So you just got to focus on what we need to focus on this week, and that's just going out there and executing the game plan. Breaking story this morning, the Steelers, much to the consternation of a lot of you Steelers fans, they're not firing Mike Tomlin, nor should they. If you're joining us late, I made that point last hour. They're not firing Mike Tomlin. He had a really bad day, really bad game. I think he had actually a few bad days. Any day where he openly talked about the Patriots and not what was right in front of him was a bad day. It set the tone. It set the tone that it was all right to look beyond Jacksonville, which to this moment, I still have no idea how they did that. How do you have a team come in and punch you in the face in your house earlier in the year? How'd that go down? I mean, a humiliating and embarrassing beatdown. That happened. How does that happen? And then how do you somehow just summarily dismiss the entire thing, ignore it, and just skip over that same crew, that crew which is nasty, fast, athletic, aggressive, physical, and you know they've got a huge chip on their shoulder already. How do you ignore them and skip ahead to the Patriots? Of course, it came back to bite them. But again, that's one really bad day for a guy who's had a really nice career in Pittsburgh. It's not the Steeler way. They're not going to fire him, nor should they fire him. Now, if he has another really bad day, we might be having a different conversation. So I said to you Steeler fans, did they get it right? What do you make of that? Todd Haley's out. A number of you Steeler fans don't like it. This email says, Rome Slice. Hang on. 
42 points against the best D in the show is an offensive issue. The difference in that game was a man named Dick LeBeau, no longer on that sideline. D seeing this thing for Tomlin. Jordo in New Zealand. Come on, Jordo. You're not New Zealand. Come on, man. Hey, Rome. The Steelers score 42 points and they still lose. It's not an offensive problem. It's a defensive problem. Keith Butler has constructed the worst Steelers defense that I have ever seen. How does this guy still have a job? If Haley has to go, Butler should be warming up the car. Why are we not blaming Butler and that sorry ass defense? Lance and Boise. I'm not saying they don't have a defensive problem. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, you probably have an offensive problem and a defensive problem. But just because you have a defensive problem does not mean that you don't have an offensive problem. They've got an offensive problem as well. And in fact, I see it this way. When you've got the talent that they have offensively and you're 20th in rushing, 20th in rushing with Le'Veon Bell, you got a problem. When you're 8th in scoring in the NFL with the weapons they have, you also have an offensive problem. And frankly, when you have Todd Haley, you probably have a Haley problem. I think it's not too much of a stretch to say it's about the numbers and it's not about the numbers. It's about the numbers and it's about Roethlisberger and Haley not being on the same page. I mean, that's a given. That's not exactly a secret that Haley and Roethlisberger are not on the same page. And if we know Mike Tomlin's coming back, and we know Roethlisberger's coming back, and they went out the way they went out, there's a pretty good chance that Haley's not coming back. And who do you think is going to win that battle? Your Hall of Fame quarterback or your offensive coordinator? And the head coach has to fire somebody. This is not surprising at all. I'm not saying that clears Butler. I'm not saying they don't have problems defensively. Jacksonville comes in and hangs 45 on you in your house. You've got a problem defensively. And they got punched in the face twice by Jacksonville. I'm saying, are you really surprised that Haley got fired? I'm not, personally. But if Butler survives this thing, he should be thankful. Because they've got a defensive problem and an offensive problem and obviously some issues. And also, Mike Tomlin's got a problem with the tone that he set, the culture of that thing. He's got to hit reset. Tomlin's got to take a good, long look in the mirror. He shouldn't be fired, but he's got to take a long, hard look at himself. And ask himself how that came to be. Why was his team not prepared to play that game? Why were they so sorry for the first 15 to 20 minutes of that game? How are you not ready for a playoff game? Because they weren't when they hit the field. Daniel Cormier. Daniel, Happy New Year. What's up? How are you? Happy New Year, Jim. Hope you're doing well, brother. I'm doing great, champ. How about you? How are things? I'm good, man. Just kind of sitting here in the room, uh, making the rounds and thinking about the final weight cut tomorrow, you know? All right, so what about that final weight cut? How are you sitting right now? Do you feel pretty good about that, or are you going to have to do some things to make sure you cut that weight? No, I feel great. You know, I feel great at where I am. I'm right in, in tune with where I was in the last fight. All weight cuts are tough, but these last couple have gone better uh, than, than the previous ones, and, and I'm happy for it. I've got a great nutritionist, and uh, I'm lucky. Daniel Cormier joining us. Hey, Daniel, can you give us a sense, like, if you go into a fight and maybe you've had a good camp, but you're carrying a little extra weight, what does that cut involve exactly? Fans always hear about the weight cut and how challenging it can be. What does it involve? What do you exactly have to do during that cut to get to where you need to be? Well, the, the final one is, is always pretty similar, right? You get in the sauna, throw that plastic suit on, and go to work. You work for an hour. You know, I do an hour of work 
on Thursday night to lose eight, nine pounds. And when I do that, I usually feel pretty good. But if the weight um, is a little bit heavier, like today, I have the open workout in the afternoon. If the weight's a little bit heavier, I would have gone to a sauna around 2 o'clock, do a 30, 45-minute sauna, try to lose an extra 4 or 5 pounds before the open workout and before the workout tonight. So it would just be adding another workout where you're just sweating out some water. Daniel Cormier joining us, UFC 220, Boston pay-per-view. That's 10 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. So what do you do between weigh-in and the fight itself? How do you put that weight back on? And then what's that involve? Eat. All right. I eat and I drink and I eat and I drink and I sleep and I just spend time with my kids, man. I always have this uh, huge meal on Friday night with my entire team and my family and everybody that comes in to watch the fight. I take them all to a nice dinner and we just spend time together and uh, I just eat. I get back up to 225 and, and feel pretty good. We're talking to Daniel Cormier. That's got to be a great meal. That's got to be a great, great time, knowing you and knowing how you feel about family and your team. That's got to be awesome. Now, you've got a fight coming up, and you know, you've made the point that you are the one coming off of a loss and that he's the one with the winning streak. Of course, that's not a sign that you're not confident because you are, but what do you mean by that? You know, I mean that I was in Anaheim July 29th. You know, I mean, regardless of if the test came back positive, I fought and I lost. So if there's anything to momentum, right, if there's anything to momentum, you would think that this guy has the momentum. But I don't feel like that's going to matter in this situation. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm as confident as ever, Jim. And uh, I'm ready to go win this fight. So I'm just being real with myself and just being honest as I've always been. We're talking to Daniel Cormier. You know, when you talk about that fight in July and the way that whole thing went down, I know you've turned the page and you're looking ahead to this weekend, but when you think about that night, July, Daniel, do you draw motivation from that or do you just ignore it, turn the page, and move on? No, I draw motivation from it, you know, because we had a good fight and uh, the guy landed a beautiful shot and got the finish. You know, that's that's a credit to John Jones. Unfortunately... A lot of things are tied to the credit that you give to John Jones, but um, every every situation has to motivate me. Every win, every loss has to propel you onto something bigger. So I'm I'm taking the same approach. You know, I lost that fight in July, so all I'm trying to do now is learn from it, improve, and be better when I step into the octagon again. And I think that we've done enough in this training camp to ensure that I will be better come Saturday night. Daniel Cormier joining us. One more thought about that, because you said something that is so interesting to me. You said, look, he landed a beautiful shot, but there were a lot of other things attached to that shot. My feeling's always been, Daniel, when somebody says it was a lucky shot, there's no such thing as a lucky shot. If you land the shot, you get credit for the shot, but you make a really interesting point. There were lots of other things attached to that shot. So what do we make of the shot? Does he get credit for the shot? Or were there too many things attached to that shot? No, no, no. I give him credit for it, Jim. I give him credit for the shot. I give him credit for doing all the great body work leading to the head kick, right? Because if he wouldn't have done so much good body work early, my hands would have never thought to go block my body as he threw the head kick. So, yes, he gets credit for it. Uh, He did a fantastic job of setting that that, that strike up uh, to end the fight. Talking to Daniel Cormier. Being honest, as always, really candid. Now, Vulcan is a dangerous fighter. You yourself have said he's won some fights in ways that just seem odd and freakish, end quote. So when you watch him fight, what types of thoughts do you have? 
just be careful with his power, right? He's got this weird power from far, from close, um, from angles that you don't expect punches to hurt. But he's finishing guys uh, in those situations. So I've got to be very careful in my approach early. As the fight goes longer, I think I'll start to impose my will on it. Well, so now, when you started, Daniel, this conversation, you said, look, it's midweek. I'm just sitting around. I'm doing what I got to do. You've been here before. You know what this week is like. You know what everything is like between now and the fight itself. I mean, that's a really good young fighter you're fighting right now, but he's never been in this situation before. If you've never felt the pressure of that moment, how do you describe it? And if you haven't done it, how can you prepare for it? That's the thing, right, Jim? That's going to be the big, that's going to be the kicker. I've main event, I've main evented five shows in the UFC and sold two and a half million pay-per-views. I, in my main event shows, this guy's never been in a main event. This guy's never fought a former champion, a champion. The level that we've competed at is so vastly different that he's going to find himself in a lot of trouble whenever the fight starts. I understand that you have to kind of step out the box to make a statement. But I just don't believe that at this point, this kid can do that right now. Daniel Cormier getting ready for this weekend in Boston, pay-per-view event. Now, there was this great moment, Daniel, on the UFC 220 embedded video of you and your family in the San Jose airport getting ready to fly to the fight, and there's a conversation going on about whether or not you're good at doing your daughter's hair. Your wife does not (laughs) seem to be very impressed, and neither did your daughter, Marquita, are they right, and are they just not giving you enough credit? They're not giving me enough credit. <laughs> Listen, Jim, I've done the hair a couple times, but the one time I accidentally used the dog brush, they're going to they're gonna act like I do it every time. I did it once. I did it once. Oh, she put, dude. She, I, I did my daughter's hair, but it looked like a normal brush. Obviously, it was our little dog's brush. So we got a Shih Tzu Yorkie, a Yorkie Shih Tzu. Uh, and I guess Selena brushes the dog's hair, and the dog brush was in the bathroom where brushes go. So I used the nearest brush, and yeah, my daughter actually was not protecting her mom. I did use a dog brush, but I, I feel like I'm okay. But if I'm not, it's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, boy, that's I, I don't know. That's a tough one. Like I usually have your back in all matters, but you really can't take a dog brush to your daughter's hair, except if she had the dog brush with the other brushes and they were close by. I could see where you might have reached out and grabbed the wrong brush. I grabbed the nearest brush. It was sitting on the counter, right? And I grabbed the brush, <laughs> but Selena has a brush drawer, so I was like, "Oh." She said when she got home and looked in the brush drawer, nothing was missing. And she was like, well, what brush did you use? And I go, well, the one that's in her room, because I never replace anything I use. And uh, she goes, it's Jade's brush, idiot. (laughs) It's funny now, but when she was talking to me back then, the thought of our kid being at school with her hair being brushed by a dog brush was not pleasant. So she was pissed off. Daniel Cormier joining us. I got your back on that, though. I see you working. I understand how that could happen. So you got a big night coming up. UFC 220. It's in Boston. It's live. It's on pay-per-view. It's 10 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. Really nice card. Daniel, great to get caught up with you. Always good to have you on the show. Thanks for making time for us once again. Good luck this weekend, and I will look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much, Jim. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me again. And if Butler lives to fight another day, he should consider himself pretty fortunate. Tomlin's got to change up. With that in mind, let's go to Pittsburgh. I like it. On topic, in the right town, we go to the Berg. Joe in Pittsburgh. 
Good to have you, Joe. What's up? How are you? Hey, Jim. How you doing, man? Good, good. How about you? Let's go with Horse Monkey today. Horse Monkey? Yeah, Horse Monkey. Where did you get that name from? We got that name. Well, before we decided to marry these girls, me and my buddy, you know, we'd go out and have a few bourbons or ten, and we'd start doing this monkey dance. They kind of basically called it that. I got you, man. I see you working. Now I see you gone. You don't like that car. I don't like Horse monkey. Not a very good I said, let's go to Joe in Pittsburgh. Hey, Joe, how are you? And then he corrected me and said, you know what? Let's just go with horse monkey. What do you say we just go with Joe in Pittsburgh? Hey, Joe, bro, I get this. No offense. And God, the last thing I ever want to do is do this to somebody in Pittsburgh. I love getting calls from the Berg. The guy was on topic. He was in the right town. But I don't care who you are or what your take is. Literally, your take would be better than my take. You could be a better talk show host than me as a caller. But if you self-gloss, you're going to get broken off. Once again, there are almost no rules to this program except have a take, don't suck. Personal appearance is not show fodder. No bum smack. And do not self-gloss. I don't care what your boys call you. I don't care what you're known as around the office. Around here, you're just Joe in Pittsburgh. Now, if maybe the jungle has a few shots of bourbon and there's some monkey business going on or you guys are horsing around or whatever that came to be, maybe then the jungle bestows upon you the gloss horse monkey. But until that day, until that happens... There is no self-glossing. Now, there is a bright side to this. Now you're a part of a very exclusive club. You're not the first, and I sure as hell know you will not be the last. Levi the Trash Man. Ah. It's Iceman. Ah. Loney Carter in Spokane. Ah. Bighorn from Windsor, Ontario. Ah. They call me the bowling ball here in Tampa. Ah. Jay Dizzle. Ah. Manny Cheeseburger over here. Ah. Oh, my name is Shot Collins. Ah. The Clone Prophet. Ah. This is the Grump. Ah. This is the Grouch. Ah. Moldoggy in NorCal, East Bay to be exact. Ah. The Dougler. I'm from the city of Fad Diets and Yoga Pants. Ah. The Zookeeper. Oh, good gloss. Where did that come from? Uh, at a buddy's wedding. Ah. So you gotta call me Rooster. Ah. Actually, this is Garbage Man, Brad. Ah. Not Jonathan, it's Jeff. Ah. My boys call me the Cracker Jack. Ah. G-Money. Ah. Actually, they call me Sexy Rexy from New Mexico. Ah. They call me the Red Dog. Ah. Let's go with Horse Monkey today. Ah. That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that. I don't know why, but it's always funny to me. That's still funny to me. The Clone Prophet. Sexy Rexy in New Mexico. Tanner Lee joins me in studio. Tanner, it's great to see you. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Really good to have you. Before I talk to you about your decision and your career, you saw my EP, Adam Hawk. What do you make of a dude who gets ink of his cat? Have you ever seen anything like that before? No, it shows a lot of passion, man. I love that. I mean, guy loves his cat. Can't beat that. I guess that's, that's one word for it, passion. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so late last month, you tweeted the announcement that you were going to forego your final season at Nebraska and end the draft. So a lot goes into that. What kind of conversations did you have with people around you? And then ultimately, what led to that decision? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a tough decision. So, I mean, I, I've been in college for five years now, and I had a, a six-year uh, option, basically. And um, a lot of things went into it. Um, you know, it, timing was really the main thing. Um, you know, I feel I feel ready for the NFL. You know, I've I've played a lot of college ball, and you know, kind of weighing the pros and cons of, of of both, and and a new coaching staff coming in, and you know, it being the right fit and the right thing for me. Um, 
you know, ultimately I just made the decision, like, let's get this thing going. Let's get it, uh, um, let's get it rolling. And I, I feel like, you know, with my preparation, my skill set, I, I like, I like my chances and to go out and, and show my, my value and that, you know, I have the skill set to, you know, be successful at the next level. Tanner Lee joining me in studio, you know, it's neither here nor there, but say for instance, and this is a big Mike Riley house. I'll get into that a little bit later on. Say you don't have to learn a new system. Say you don't have a new coaching staff coming in. Had he stayed one more year, would your decision have been the same or maybe might you have stayed? I mean, it would have been a, a tougher decision for sure. You know, I had a great relationship with Coach Riley and uh, the offensive coordinator, Coach Langsdorf, you know, and uh, it definitely would have factored in for sure. It would have uh, made things a little bit different. Um, but that, that wasn't the case. So I had to, uh, you know, make a decision. Well, you had a pretty interesting journey to get to this point. Take me back a little bit. The story goes that when you were growing up in Louisiana, baseball was your focus. So correct, what yeah. positions did you play back then and what were you like as a baseball player? I grew up playing baseball. Um, from, you know, T-ball on, you know, I didn't really start playing football until later. Um, but I pitched and played shortstop growing up. And then in high school, I played third and pitched. Um, so, I mean, it's something I really enjoyed. Definitely missed the sport. See, now, the way you ended up in football is also pretty interesting because you went to a summer camp for Jesuit High School in New Orleans. One of the coaches there said to you, you're going to be our quarterback one day. At that time, when he said that, how much football had you played? Uh, not much. You know, I, I grew up playing flag football in middle school. That's really where I learned how to throw and you know, touch and different things. And then, you know, that coach at that camp said, you know, you got a, you know, a, a strong arm. Let's, let's, uh, you know, go sign up for the team. So I did that. And, uh, you know, he began to teach me the, the things about football. And I kind of started to fall in love with the game and the, the ins and outs and the locker room and the, you know, everything that comes with it. And uh, just from, from that moment on, I've been, you know, all in. Right, so you were all in, but the situation there was pretty interesting also in the sense that you played quarterback at Jesuit, and as a junior, you split time with Cameron Dobbins yeah. to the point where you'd play the first and third quarters, and or actually he would, and then you'd play the yeah. second and the fourth. Pretty unusual system, but it worked. You guys yeah. went 12-1, and one. so what was that entire experience like? Uh, it, was, it was one of the best teams I've ever been a part of. You know, we were uh, an extremely talented team, and, and Cameron and I were, were very close, you know, and you know, if I was a coach, I, don't, I wouldn't have known who to play, and I think they did it the right way with you know, letting us split quarters apart from letting us split, you know, drives, you know, let a guy get into a rhythm. You know, Cameron was an extremely athletic guy and, you know, we used him at running back in places and, you know, we were really good. So, you know, none of us really had a problem with it because we were winning games and we were winning by a lot, you know, and it was a lot of fun. Right, so nobody says anything when you're 12 and 1. So Tulane offers you a scholarship and even when other schools came calling, you stuck with them. However, there was a coaching change and the coach who arrived ran a completely different system. So you started thinking about playing someplace else. And at that time, you were coming off a broken hand. So I'm guessing there might have been some concern that, you know, maybe somebody's not going to take me. What was that experience like? Yeah, it was definitely a def definitely a, a trying part of my career. You know, it was kind of Coming off of a season, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a hand cast, a new coaching staff's coming in, a new athletic director, and he's running the triple option. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, what am I going to do here? You know, basically he's telling me, um, you know, I, if, that I should probably pursue other, other things and, you know, am I going to get recruited again? So yeah, it was tough. It was just something I had to, again, trust my, my talent and my gut and my family. You know, things were going to work out. And then the recruiting process kind of started picking up and, you know, my name kind of got out there and, and luckily Mike Riley got a hold of it. And uh, it, was, it went from there. Quarterback Tanner Lee joining me in studio. I can remember the first time I went to Nebraska, and obviously under much different circumstances than you. But I'm a California guy. I had never been in Nebraska. I went in the early 90s when they were killing it, oh, absolutely yeah. killing it. Man, what an amazing place. Lincoln, Omaha, like the it. state, nothing like it. Yeah. I mean, I have so much respect and love for that state. What was it about Nebraska? Obviously, Mike Riley was calling. Yeah. But what was it about Nebraska that appealed to you so much? You know, it's an easy sell. And I think um, 
you know, I, I had two places I really wanted to go is between, you know, hometown LSU and, and Nebraska. So I kind of took, I took both visits, but if, when you go to Nebraska, there's just, there's just something different. You know, the, the, the whole state revolves around Nebraska football and the fans are the most passionate I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, you, you experience a game there, a game day there is just, it should be a, on everyone's bucket list. You know, I think it's just the premier college football place in the country. And, um, you know, it's just something I, I really wanted to be a part of. And on top of that, you got Coach Riley. Seriously. Oh, yeah. Well, he, well make really sure. Is. He, he, he really done, is. My man, I've done this a long, long time. I've done this longer than you've been alive. He literally is one of the best guys ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. But why do you call him the best man in sports? Uh, you just got to know him to know what I mean. I mean, he's just literally the most genuine, honest man, you know, I, I've ever had the, the pleasure to, to know and to play for. And, um, you know, in, in a locker room that's run by Coach Riley, the guys are just, you know, they want to play well for him. They want to go out and win and do their best because, you know, everyone respects him so much and everything he's, he's been able to do. So what's that like? I mean, Nebraska gets a really good young coach in Scott Frost and a guy oh, who played yeah. there and won a national championship. But if the guys in the locker room really love the coach, the way you say they love that coach, and I know they did, what's it like when they come up short and, you know, it wasn't enough? It's tough. I mean, there's really no way around that, that it was just hard. Yeah. Uh, tough season, didn't go the way we wanted to go. Changes were made. And I mean, they brought in Scott Frost, who, I mean, you can't ask for, you know, a, a better coach coming in. He won coach of the year in every category you can imagine. And I got to know him a little bit, just talking through, you know, this process with him a little bit. Let me ask you about that. Like, you made your decision. Yeah. It's the right decision for you, 100%. But you had a chance to talk to him. For Nebraska fans, they know him, so I don't want to say what are they getting. They have a pretty good idea. Yeah. But what were your impressions when you talked to him? You know, I think they're, they, they're in great hands. You know, I, I got, you know, as a, as a coach, I would love to play for, for sure. I mean, I've gotten to play for a lot of coaches and a lot of different position coaches in my career. And, you know, just uh, in the few conversations I had with him, I think my guys that I left in Nebraska are, are in great hands. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for them. You know, he's just the ultimate players coach. The guy just gets it. You know, he was extremely helpful to me in making my decision. And, you know, anything I needed, he was there for me, you know, uh, very understanding of the whole process. So it was, uh, he made it easier on me to you know, go through all this. Now, when you and I, where we haven't spoken before, I had spoken to him about you and he raved about you. He said the guys would gravitate to you and that you would know which guys need to be yelled at and which guys need to be encouraged. So how did you go about leading players and who are some of the people that you've learned leadership from? You know, just over time, I think, you know, I, starting at a young age at Tulane and playing early with a lot of young guys also starting and playing, um, it taught me a lot. And it taught me a lot about handling guys, you know, differently you know guys react to to um you know the leadership in different ways and you just kind of feel that out and um you know i was able to grow in that way uh, all the way until my senior year and um you know guys that i've, I've learned that from or um i mean i i studied guys like drew Brees and tom brady since my, my entire life really and then you know when i got to tulane you know i learned from mike new who's a uh, he's actually the head coach at ball state now but he was an nfl guy with the Saints for a while, learned a lot of things about leadership from him. Uh, Ryan Griffin, he's a backup at uh, with the Buccaneers right now. Learned a lot of things from him. Um, just things that you know I was able to carry out through my, my entire career and, and kind of think about every day. Hey, listen, there's some things that you don't need to be taught. Some guys are like wired for it. Some guys are good at that. Some guys are natural. And I'm sure you've got some of that. Now you've gone to the Manning Passing Academy a number of times over the years. You've generated a lot of buzz there as well the last few years. What's the experience at that academy like? And what's your biggest takeaway from that experience? I think for a quarterback, a uh, college quarterback, it's the best thing you can do. I think it is one of the most fun, um, you know, most beneficial weeks of my life 
every year since I've been in college. I mean, you get to sit around and have a personal relationship and conversations with any the whole Manning family, which is, you know, there's nothing really better than that. And um, you get to go out and you get to compete and, and hang out with guys that are in your position all over the country. So there's kind of like that fraternity and that brotherhood that you build with those guys and you kind of follow each other throughout the season and stay in touch. And it's really a great deal. So you and I sitting here, I'm not worried about you in the interview process. When you sit with teams, I know you're going to handle yourself just fine. But what would you like teams to know about you? And then what kind of a quarterback would they be getting? You know, it's, um, you know, I just hope they, I hope they watch the film and I hope they see that I have a, um, you know, a, skill, a skill set comparable to anybody in the country. You know, I'm, I'm extremely confident in myself, um, you know, more than anyone. So I hope that I just get the opportunity to show that. And um, if, I, if I'm lucky enough to get drafted, I, I hope I can, uh, you know, by anyone at any time, I'm just really looking forward to that opportunity to go out there and, you know, earn my stripes and, and show what I can do. And um, I, just, I know that I'm ready for it. Listen, I mentioned you're getting a lot of attention and a lot of buzz, and you're focused on you. You're focused on what you can control. You know some of the other big names out there, Donald, Rosen, Baker Mayfield. How do you think you match up with them? Do you feel like you're in that same category, and would you take you ahead of them? Well, that's a tough question. I mean, those guys are unbelievable athletes. You know, they've done a lot of great things in college football. Uh, but to me, you know, I, I think – yeah, I think I'm very comparable to them, especially my, my skill set and you know, my arm talent and things I'm very confident in. So, uh, yeah, I feel like I can walk on the field and, and play and throw with anyone. And that's just, um, I don't want to sound cocky or anything. I think it's just uh, confidence. And, um, you know, those guys are, are definitely great players. So it's, uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be good to uh, compare myself with them. You're supposed to answer it that way. You're supposed to believe that, of course. Last thought. So you've got a few months between now and the draft. What are the types of things you're working on right now to get ready? So I'm training at uh, Exos in LA, just really working on you know, everything that goes into you know, those combine workouts, you know, just getting faster and quicker and stronger. And then I'm working with uh, Coach Steve Calhoun from uh, Armed and Dangerous on all my um, you know, quarterback details and, and technicalities and my mechanics and uh, really enjoying that and just kind of fine-tuning everything and, and really getting in shape and ready for this uh, you know, big interview. There's nothing about the, the combine. There's nothing like that. Like, what do you make of a situation where those are long days, yeah. lots of things going on? In effect, it's a huge, huge job interview, yeah. a three-day job interview. How do you approach it philosophically? You know, I think I've, I don't think I've ever missed a combine watching it on TV on the NFL Network. So I think I've I've always been mentally preparing myself for that moment, um, you know, as long as I can remember. So, I mean, I'm just really looking forward to that. And uh, finally for that day to come, it'd be a real dream come true. And it's just kind of, um, there's something I, I think I'm really going to be ready for. And I'm excited to go out there and show uh, my abilities. April 26th through the 28th in Arlington, Tanner Lee, former Nebraska quarterback, getting ready to take a shot in the NFL and living the dream. Tanner, really good to see you. Like I said, you nailed the interview. Great to have you here in our new studio. Thanks so much. Good luck. And when you get to the NFL and I come looking for you, do not big league me. Don't forget that we had this interview, all right? No chance. I appreciate you for having me. There's Nap Nation, but then there's Car Nap Nation. The guys who have the kind of game to nap it out in their cars during their work days. That's next level stuff. You have Nap Nation, you have Car Nap Nation, and then you have the guy who runs Car Nap Nation. Justin in Cleveland, the CFO. Justin, good to have you on. What's up? Jillette, greetings from my driver's seat laid back at a perfect 45 degree <laughs> angle getting ready to nap it out as soon as the jungle goes off the air how are you brother I'm doing great i'm doing great for those who don't know all right so you've got that perfect 45 degree angle what time of day do you nap it out in your car and for how long three o'clock eastern time for obvious reasons the jungle goes off the air 
And um, I'm on the road most of the time, so if I can get a solid hour, I'll take it. Uh, once in a while, I'll nap it out before the jungle goes on the air, but it's a hard and fast rule all over the nation that uh, noon to 3 Eastern time is not nap time. No, I appreciate that. Dude, an hour, an hour in the car napping it out is pretty impressive. Now, do you set the alarm to wake up, or do you just wake up when you wake up? Oh, I set the alarm. Okay. I mean, I got too much of a good thing. I got to <laughs> I gotta set the alarm. Right, I got you. All right. Thanks for setting me uh, straight. What's on your mind today? So I've been wanting to get some jungle ink since the OG of the ink game, Mike in the ABQ, put your mugger all over himself. And I wanted to jump on this train because if I waited any longer, it's just going to be even more stale than it already is because um, we got a few guys in the house now. So what I want to do, Romy, is get your permission because, you know, say you're not in the Crips or Bloods and you get their ink, that could end badly, I would assume. So obviously I'm not in the XR4TI, but what I want to do is immortalize the XR4TI on my giant boiler, and I kind of want to get it around the belly button. But I wanted to get your permission to do that as an homage to the greatest crew that ever lived. You know, it's really interesting. Like, when you first started down that road, I thought to myself, I mean, Justin, you know I can't sign off on that because you're not a member of the XR4TI, but it's a tip of the hat to the XR4TI. You want to give these guys credit. Exactly. Okay, now why, exactly. why do you have that much respect for the XR4TI that you would immortalize them in ink? Because the XR4TI, ever since the uh, don't forget about Mock Mulder days, have taught me that you got to be on the grind. And, Rome, before I started listening to you, which was a long time ago, I go back to Lunch with the Monkey, Lunch with the Monkey days, I used to dress up as something on Halloween every year at work. And the first way that you changed my life was for me to stop that madness. And ever since I first heard your Halloween take, I never made that mistake again. So really, it's an homage to the life-changing things that the XR4TI taught me. Don't forget about Mark Mulder and just teaching me to stay on the grind at all times. And by the way, real quick, let me get my Mad Hawks back. I'm a cat guy, too. There's nothing wrong with that. All right, so respect. I, I like that. But when you say the XR4TI taught me a lot of things, namely to stay on the grind, my man, you're not on the grind. You sleep in your car for an hour every single day. How is that on the grind? <laughs> Because that's who I am. That's the business I run. Now, that's my grind right there, making sure the Carnap Nation you gets are, as much run as they possibly can. You are the CFO. You are the CFO. You know what, Justin? You got my blessing. I Initially, I did not think that was a very good idea, but when you talk about it that way and what the XR4TI means to you, you're right. The thing is already stale. You better get it done before it gets more stale. Do it. You have our blessing. All Go right. get it. I'm going under the ink needle on Saturday. Uh, as soon as it's done, I'll hit, I'll hit the sparrow up on Twitter. Uh, hopefully he'll share it with you, my man. Hey, do that. Scope it if you can. Scope it if you can. Will do. All right, Justin. Nice do, job. Brother. Appreciate you. Thank you. Don't forget Mark Moda. That's Jay Stu. Don't forget Mark Moda. Don't forget Mark Moda. I can't even describe what that means. You know how long it would take me to give you the background, the context of don't forget Mark don't Moda? Don't You remember Mark Mulder, excellent major league pitcher? Of course you remember him because Jay Stu for years was screaming, don't forget. Don't forget Mark Moda. All right, so now that would make four. If he gets inked, that would make four. Four. I love his take, too. It's already stale. I got to get it before it gets more stale. And I made this point yesterday. You're probably listening and saying, great. Do we have to listen to Rome do this every single time somebody gets ink? And my answer is the same today as it was yesterday. Yes. Yes. If you respect me, or in this case, if you respect me enough, this isn't even about me. It's about the crew. And I love his take that, yeah, Rome, it's because I learned from your guys the meaning of how to grind as I sleep in my car every day for one hour. But as he points out, he's got a business to run, and he is the CFO of Carnap Nation. 
Yes, anybody who gets any ink that references this show is going to get Jungle Run. It's the absolute commitment and the best show of loyalty I know. You know, I've been in this game 25 years, and people are still getting tats for the show. Hell yes, you're going to get some run. Scope it. We'll turn it around. We'll tweet it back. There you go, clones. Hump day. Another show in the books. Make sure you check back tomorrow for more, and I will see you then. I'm out. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired, and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it. Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.